Hello and welcome to Relationship Rescue, the podcast. Every relationship begins with you. Today we are talking about dating in your 40s, your 50s and beyond and dating after divorce. So let us let me ask you this question. Do you think that there is a difference between dating in your 40s, 50s and beyond and how you should date and how to find that right one for you if you whether you know if you're a man or a woman? So I'm going to answer it. Yes, huge difference. Do, 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 woo, woo, woo. Wow, sparks are flying. Aha moment. Yes, of course there is. Why? Because men and women are raised differently. Men and women, while they both might suffer from anxiety or depression, right, or whatever it is, and they have, we have these universal limiting beliefs and we have all of these things that, you know, um, you know, uh, that are the same, we also have um, the um, uh, wounds unhealed portions of us that are specific to the gender, right? Now, what happens when um, you're a male in your 40s, 50s, beyond, and you've divorced? There's this, I, I see a very specific reasons for those divorces, okay? Now, what if you're a woman and you are in your 40s, 50s, or beyond, you're dating after divorce? What, why, what caused your divorce? Again, a very specific really specific, you know, a type of wounding type of thing that caused you heartache, caused your, 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 um, self-sabotaging ways. Right. Um, also, you know what, it, it does come down to, again, remember what, what we allow in our relationships is can really is indicative of where we are. And most women and men allow two different things. Um, while they can overlap, right? Again, the gender difference is huge. So that means while I help women and men, how I approach men and women is differently. How I help men date is differently than women. Because when women, men go into the dating world after a divorce, and most men, by the way, come to me in their 50s. Most women come to me in their 40s. Again, why differences in wounding? Differences in wounding. Men do not allow into their conscious awareness the their their they don't allow themselves to feel um the stress they just kind of keep plugging away right so what happens is there's um what is the definition of manhood for many people for many men i should say it's standing up stand up to the discomfort stand up to the pain right it's it's like basically if you feel bad it's almost like the message you get is, you know what? Redouble your efforts by just ignoring it even more, right? So you can never sit long enough to allow yourself to feel your feelings, to allow yourself vulnerability within yourself, let alone with somebody else, right? So it almost feels like, well, if you give into the pain that you've been experiencing for most of your life, right? It's instead of going towards relief, which is what giving into pain is, is finding a solution to the pain, right? Um, no, for a man, it's a humiliating defeat. It is a humiliating defeat. It's, you know, it's that male pride, the stoicism. That is what prevails. And so then all too often what happens? Well, denial is equated with tenacity, you know? Um, you know what? My head is bloody, but it's unbowed, <laughs> Right? And, and that keeps men stuck. 
it keeps them moving away from their family, away from their wife, more towards work or whatever it is that is going to bring them some sort of what they think is comfort and and hold them in high, you know, in a place of higher self-esteem, like they're worthy of whatever it is, right? So, um, you know, men's willingness to downplay weaknesses and, you know, pain is so great that it's actually been named, if you can believe this, a factor in their shorter lifespan span. There is a 10 year difference in longevity between men and women. Yeah. And it has very little to do with genes. Men die earlier because they do not take care of themselves. Men wait longer to acknowledge that they are sick. They take longer to get help. And once they get treatment, guess what? They do not comply with it as well as women do. There are some men that are very close in my life to me. Um, and both of them were, you know, basically told you have, you know, early, uh, what's it called? Cardiomyopathy, right? Heart disease, basically. And both men, it took forever for them to go to the doctor, by the way. And both of them left and changed nothing. Did nothing about it. Until, guess what? They were forced to, right? So, you know, we've, men choose Superman, you know, um, Robocop, we choose, what are the, all these other people, the, the, you know, uh, Aquaman. <laughs> it's these big super people heroes all over. This is the masculine man, right? So um, what happens is when, when, you, when, when you don't live up to that, the, what that male masculinity is supposed to be, and you keep suppressing your emotions, your feelings, right? Um, you eventually are going to have mood or behavioral disruptions, okay? And that is directly correlated to feelings of inadequacy. Now, okay, what do you think that, how high do you think the correlation between, you know, that feeling of inadequacy and how high your self-esteem is? huge huge right so and now more than ever thank you social media thank you this and that you know women if we've just been looking at skinny anorexic chicks on the i shouldn't say anorexic sorry but um overtly thin very thin people that need to eat food on the cover of magazines since forever right but now guess what for the first time men has have almost that same preoccupation with hard bodies Okay, and it's a significant number of men have begun to join, you know, women, hello, welcome to our club and obsessive concerns about the size and shape of our bodies. Yes, you know, in America here, it seems that a woman cannot be too thin and a man cannot be too hard. Yep. Oh, so this, okay, is really now adding more to a man's self-esteem, low self-esteem, than ever, right? And and when you are feeling low self-confidence, low self-esteem, and you're get you've been divorced, how can you possibly get into that dating world and then think you're going to figure it out this time? You're not, right? So um, I had a client, and I and what I've been doing more now is I have a lot of men clients when they come to me in their fifties. It's 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 not just a divorce from the wife that seems to be going bad, you know, and a lot of them will, you know, um, 
you know, be turning the wife in for maybe a younger version sometimes, right? Which then never really works out. Not a lot of them, some of them. But um, what happens, you know, when they're in the, so if you're a man, you're in your 50s, you're going to, you know, all of a sudden, you're drinking maybe more, there's marital tensions, maybe trouble at work, you know, um, and you know what, you're really not understanding what is going on, right? Um, and so you're getting confused about, wait, what's, what's happening here, right? Because you've never really focused on anything except for what is supposed, to, what are you supposed to do? Usually it's that work, whatever you feel, whoever you were told to be, that's what you've been focusing on, right? Okay, so um, now there was a study done Okay, where um, psychologists were given hypothetical psychiatric case histories of patients, okay, and they had various of complaints, but there was only one variable was changed, and it was the sex of the client. Now, here, get this. So, consistently, psychologists diagnosed the depressed male clients as more severely disturbed than the depressed female clients. On the other hand, listen to this. Women alcoholics were viewed as being more severely disturbed than their male counterparts. Okay, so this is pretty conflicted, right? So what do these conflicted results show? Well, there's an overlay of gender expectations. And it, you know what? And it can complicate, complicate the judgment of clinicians, right? So, you know, so we're punishing clients, not me, and that's the truth, but for... Um, for crossing gender lines, right? So basically it's saying that um, it's unmanly to be depressed and unwomanly to drink. That is a huge disconnect because of what? Society, society, what we, you know, what we've, and also what we've been taught by our parents, right? By, by our fathers, by, you know, um, even our mothers. So, um, I had a client contact me after, you know, months and months of, you know, no sleep, no peace of mind, couldn't concentrate, you know, he felt worried, helpless, worthless, deficient, um, you know, and he, and he thought it was just some immediate crisis, right? It's just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now this just like comes on. No! Okay? This was a long-term, you know underlying sadness, anxiety, right? Um, but he claimed he had no idea why he feel, felt such intense anguish. Chief, you know, chief financial officer of a very large corporation, you know, making a lot of money. He had risen from, you know, the blue collar background that he came from. Um, you know, he worked hard for his daughters and his son and his family um you know gave them this pampered beautiful life um you know he was at work most of the time they, they didn't really see him right and he didn't really think of the impact that his absenteeism was having on his wife and his children he never thought about it right but he wasn't surprised that you know that the his his marriage was ending you know, he did soon find somebody younger and prettier, right? More affectionate. Um, but what really hurt him, okay, 
And by the way, the, the younger, more effective, yeah, that ended, that that died. Okay, but anyways, but what, what really got to him was the fact that his children basically sided with their mother. And they, he felt like a bank. That's all he felt like was a bank, right? And it's hard for many successful men that work 80 hours plus a week, you know, to see the harmful effects of compulsive work until that relational bill comes due. What's that relational bill? That's basically, guess what? You had no relationship with the kids. It's a hard, oh, what do you do, what do you do? But I'm not going to go into what do you do before you get to this point. I want to help you if you're at this point, right? So now he's in, you know, deep, acute despair, right? He feels horribly betrayed by his children, you know, and they just didn't really feel much like anything towards him, you know? Um, you know, they basically thought he was a blank check with a smile, you know, and I did work, and as what I've been, I've seen in the last three years is I've started working more with the family, either both parents or the parent and the children, right? The adult children. I don't answer, I don't work with kids um, under 18. I mean, sometimes I have a few times, but very rarely. Anyways, um, you know, but one of the questions I asked him was, what made you decide? you know, that family was something you'd better be, you know, you'd be better off kind of running from. What what was that? You know, um, and he, you know, he just looked at me. It was really a, a moment. And, you know, the kids were very impatient. The, by the way, these are grown adults. But, um, and... And one of the, and this is what when I'm working with the adult children and the 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 parent, I really do go. Obviously, guess what? It's all it always goes back to it. A lot of the times, the childhood, right? So I said I asked the, you know him and the kids how much the, did the children know the young adult the adult children know know about his childhood, and they looked at me. and They said virtually nothing. We know it was hard, but that's it. So I asked him. To share. Can you share? I, I want to know. Like, tell me some things about, you know, your childhood. What, what it, when you, you know, um, what was it, what did it feel like in your house? He started describing it. And it was gloomy and it was rough and it was hot and it was heavy. And then I asked what, you know, about his mother. What, what was she like? What would, what would she wear? What did she smell like? How was it? You know, you know, just really started asking. And basically it finally came out that she was an alcoholic and um, vodka was her choice. My father's choice was vodka also. Um, I, I know exactly what that odor is. And he described the odor, which was just kind of crazy to sit there and, you know, but anyways, um, and he described it as antiseptic, which it does smell like antiseptic, which is really weird. Um, but anyways, and he talks about her being completely, you know, passed out, out of it, lying on the bed, snoring like a baby, you know. And um, I've talked often about, you know, finding my father 
passed out sleeping, snoring um, on our kitchen floor. And what that does, right? Now you, everybody deals with something like that differently. So, you know, um, he would just sit there and watch her and look at her just sitting there, right? Like he was a soldier, you know, watching his mother, protecting her, staring at her, um, at her breathing, you know, just would stare at her breathing um, and checking on her, you know, and basically making sure she was still alive. And when I asked how often he sat that, you know, had that vigil over her, he basically said every single day. So when I asked him to imagine how that little boy in his memory feels sitting like that beside her, he said, as he cried, empty. Really rather empty. Sometimes he, you know, would curl up next to her, put her, you know, put his head down on hers just to feel her. Just to feel something, by the way. Do you understand that? And now what do you think happened with the kids? The adult children. They cried. It is about bringing empathy in to the parent, too. You know, I often talk about what parents, you know, should do. Now, this is where all, you know, people will say, oh, well, right, so... But he should have known better. He didn't know better. He didn't know better. So when you realize that he didn't know better, right? Okay. Um, you realize that he was running. He was doing what he, he only knew what to do was be silent, but take care of business. And he was running from the family and he pushing all the, thoughts down, pushing the emotions down, pushing everything down, right? And he had utterly disregarded his history. Turned back on the past he no longer wished to be a part of. But here's the problem. The strategy of disowning the pain didn't cooperate very well with, you know what? The inner child. Because what did he do? He turned his back on the depressed, vulnerable boy inside of himself. Only, guess what? to wind up replaying the scene of the injury with his own son, with his own daughters, right? Now, that life, his child's life, when he was a child was totally out of balance. But here's the thing, his life with his family was out of balance also, okay? It's, it's you know, um, Running from our emotions, our feelings, and our thoughts then makes us run from the people we love. And then it moves us towards, you know, neglect, right? So this long-standing, you know, inner anxiety and depression changed into acute, severe. And then that's why he comes to me and he's in despair and he can't sleep and he can't, doesn't understand where... You know, where what's wrong with him? Where is this total, horrible, brittle sense of self-worth and and um, um, uh, being unlovable and unforgiving? Well, where did, how, why? Well, guess what triggered it? Finally, it was triggered through the daughter's and the son's rejection. 
So that concealed anxiety and depression that he carried inside for so many years finally erupted. But as he finally admitted to me, guess what? It had always been with him. A feared presence lurking in that background. He was never really enjoying himself. It was always felt to him like he was staving off a disaster, right? Um, and guess what happened? Each new success that he had left him, you know, breathing a little easier. But there was always a fear of what waited around that next corner under the rock. And he never felt much relief. And I know how that feels. And so probably do most of you listening to this right now. Few friends. He had very few outside interests, interests, and he was basically felt like a stranger in his own household. So what did he do? What did he do? Well, he comforted himself with food, kudos at work, success at work, and a very important portfolio. And he regrets all of it. He was running away, and he was running towards the goal of financial security, running away from that pain and that emptiness he had felt as a child, escaping that sense of unworthiness, that emotional impoverishment, and all of that had haunted him for most of his life. Right? So, when you think about it, what sustains somebody in that state when they're running? Right? What what really, what, what does give them, you know, um, what fulfills them? Well, money, prowess, prestige. So, the, you know, the pain that we refuse to feel stem from that toxic relationship with who? Themself. Themself. Not the mother, themself. Not the father, themself. Not anybody else but themself. It's a toxic relationship with our self. So guess what? That's why I say every relationship begins with you. Oh boy, we are just getting started. I'm finishing the rest of the year out on this stuff. I'm probably going to just keep continue for a while on how does this work for dating in your 40s, 50s, and beyond, dating after divorce. And the difference, you know, what it is means for men and what it means for women because it's two different things. Yep. If you're ready to take action, to heal today, to figure out your life, I have finally opening up some spots. Click the link in the show notes and set up your free 45-minute call today. I love you. I care. Thank you for being here. Much love to you always. Until next time.